Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Simon Taylor. In today's episode, we're asking, how did payroll data become the new gold rush? Payroll data has become the topic of much hype over the last few years, from projected market values of over $10 billion to being referred to the holy grail of fintech. That's plenty of hype. So why are people so excited about something that's been in front of us the whole time? In the midst of the great resignation, will this gold rush even last? Well, we'll discuss all of this and much more in today's show. But first, a brief word from our sponsors. Let's face it, cards were not designed for online. Payments can take days to settle, hurting customer loyalty, while high fraud, clunky checkouts and expensive fees means millions in missed revenue. At TrueLayer, we've made instant payments available for businesses across Europe and the UK, so you can cut costs, fight fraud, and get money moving faster. To learn more, visit truelayer.com forward slash payments. Fintech Insider presents After Dark Ripping Up the Rulebook, a special recording of Fintech Insider live from New York City, and we want you to join us. On Tuesday, May 24th, we'll be looking at DeFi, punk rock, embedded finance and hip-hop, and breaking down how they've all disrupted their industries. Head to 11fs.com forward slash afterdark for all the info and to get your free ticket. That's at 11fs.com forward slash afterdark. See you in New York. All right, let's get started. As always, thankfully, I am not alone. Otherwise, this would just be a weird show. I'm joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed some light on all things payroll. Uh, first off, I'm joined by Ahmed Siddiqui, who is head of product over at Branch. Welcome back to the show, Ahmed. Could you give the audience a brief overview of Branch? So glad to be back here, Simon. Thanks again for having me. Um, again, uh, Branchware, a workforce payments platform. Um, we help uh, empower working Americans by helping them get paid faster. And also we work directly with employers and also with uh, leading gig platforms to be able to enable uh, faster payments. Amazing. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show again. Uh, much, much needed what you do. So thank you for doing everything you do. Um, making a return to Fenton Insider, of course, the one and only Lindsay Davis, who is head of markets over at Atomic. How are you doing, Lindsay? I'm fabulous. Good to see you, Simon. Tell everybody about Atomic, please. Yeah, so I'm Lindsay Davis. I am head of markets at Atomic, where we build payroll connectivity. Some of the points in which Ahmed touched on are empowered by an API that connects into payroll systems and enables consumers to access the data within the payroll system, as well as to make changes to setting up and switching their direct deposit and automating things like withholdings adjustments, as well as access to earned but unpaid wages. We'll unpack all of that soon, hopefully. All right, and last but by no means least, making a FinTech Insider debut, a debutant, we have Andrew Brown, who is founder and CEO of Check. Great to have you with us, Andrew. Tell the audience about Check, and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Simon. Yeah, thanks for having me on today. Um, my name is Andrew Brown, and I'm one of the founders and the CEO here at Check. Uh, Check is uh, an embedded payroll platform, so we're not a, a data company or even just a, a payment system. We actually are a payroll provider. And what we do is we partner with software platforms to enable them to actually offer embedded payroll services to all of the small businesses um, who they power. So we've been around for about three years, and our partners now power about 5% of the small businesses in the United States. 
Exciting. Uh, so many different angles to look at it from. We've got the consumer side. Uh, we've got the B two B two C side. We've got um, the data provider side. So this should be should be really fun. All right. Let's start off by looking at this industry and uh, really asking the first question: What is payroll data, Lindsay? Do you want to talk us through what what that actually is? What is the data itself? From Atomic's point of view, we believe that payroll data is financial data broadly. And at this moment in time in the U.S., we have the CFPB with the you know blessing of the Biden administration via the executive order to start to define what does financial data mean. In Europe, we have things like open banking and have enabled API access to financial data for fintech companies and broadly other financial services companies to build new and innovative financial products. For us, payroll data is really the source of that, right? If you think about the ways in which these fintech companies have gone to market with using bank data, that bank data, if you're thinking about income, that income comes from a payroll system. So it's really the source of truth in a lot of scenarios. And as the workers, you know, profile has changed over time, it's getting more complicated. And, you know, all of the different businesses that are on the call today are going to talk to us you're going to hear a lot of the same, which is payroll is very messy. So it's it's really a it's a fantastic time to be in the space. But again, it's just for us a, a point of getting that holistic picture of of what is the consumer's financial profile. And I think speaking of of sort of messy financial profiles, I mean, I'm a, that's probably a subject near and dear to your heart. You're dealing with a segment who, you know it's not always clear where the next paycheck's coming from. And yet we're trying to help them make it to that and pay the bills and and just get through the month. So um, how do you think about that sort of messy view of their their world versus the the traditional view of their world as well? Yeah, I think uh, especially for regular traditional hourly workers that are considered, I I guess, W-2 workers, the data is very messy because... um, there, it's housed in all these payroll platforms that historically just haven't been very open to sharing that data externally. And I think uh, with Atomic and services like that, you're being able to kind of expose those things a little bit more in a clean data format. And every payroll system has its own format, right? And so there isn't like a consistent like path that you can follow and say, all right, you know, with ADP, it works this way or with, uh, you know, uh, Ceridian, it works this way, et cetera. So, so you know, Getting at that data is pretty complicated. And again, we work directly with uh, the employers to get at that data. And so it's it's an integration exercise pretty much every time uh, for us. And uh, Andrew, I'm interested, given you're sort of more in the primary source space of, of the payroll, what can you do once you're seeing what somebody's income looks like? What are the use cases here? What, what am I able to enable if I am a platform enabling small businesses? What can they do for, the, for their employees and, and beyond? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing I'd say is that this is a, a problem not just on the employee side. It's a huge problem for the business owner, too. If you think about your typical small business owner, they might have 10, 15 employees. Um, they're using multiple systems to manage that business. So they've got you know all their information over in one platform. They've got payroll over in ADP. And they're literally, they'll have spreadsheets. And they'll spend hours every couple of weeks trying to move that back and forth. Um, a lot of what they're trying to do is just not think about it. They want to be able to just, you know, run their business and hire more people and, you know, if they're running the coffee shop, sell more coffee. Um, you know, so I think a lot of what we're trying to do and a lot of the innovation that's happening in the space is to really build abstraction layers on top of, of the complexity of this data and the complexity of all the, the government, you know, rules and regulations that are out there um, so that these business owners and the consumers don't have to think about it anymore. 
Lindsay, any anything that you give as a standard use case to help people really understand it? You mentioned a few in your intro. Yeah, I think the the primary use case that we saw come right out of the gate was the ability to automate and set up and switch the direct deposit. So how is the consumer getting paid? It is the lifeblood of most consumers' bank accounts. So for them to be able to fluidly move that, it's not very seamless today. It has to be set up either account by account or within the payroll systems themselves. And in the scenario where they're working for a small business, you know, the long tail, like we say that we cover over 450 different payroll systems, the bulk of that 80 plus percent is controlled by the big, you know, five, the work days, the ADPs, the stradians, paychecks, paylocities, and so forth. But there is a long tail of thousands of payroll systems and Andrew's business is helping you know, big enterprise businesses build out their own payroll. But for the consumer to go set that up, they have to go straight to the employer, which you physically cannot do during COVID because offices were shut down and HR professionals were at home. And then on the bank side, you're not physically going to walk into a bank branch anymore. That's ludicrous. And so from that vantage point, you know, that that relationship for the ability for that consumer is is very important for the financial institution or for the fintech company to become top of wallet, right? They make money on interchange and the ability to become top of wallet is fragmented across not only the payroll systems, the employers, but also state lines, depending on labor laws. It's so interesting to me um, as, a, as an observer of the U.S. market from the U.K., um, where uh, you know, the payroll systems aren't nearly as, as well-known and named and mature. But also, um, we have a standard in the guarantee around current account switching, so direct deposit switching equivalent. And so the, the UK banks all must switch and guarantee that it will work absolutely fine within seven days. And yet, consumers don't switch using that guarantee because of the UX it's, it's a horrible UX and I have to go change it and I have to go do it. So the amount of accounts switching every month is like 20, 30,000 net net in both directions. And so it, it's almost nothing when you consider a population, a working adult population of 35 million, population of 60 million. It's nothing. And so that UX point is really, really key. Uh, Ahmed, you know, what sort of UX have you been able to uh, bring for your customers and what sort of outcomes are you seeing with Branch as a result of being able, able to get access to that data and, and provide new capabilities? I think uh, there's there's two things regarding UX. Well, to the end user, it should be no UX, ultimately. Like, the, the you just need to get out of the way of most people. Um, and uh, you know, obviously we've got a UX for our app, et cetera, for the end user, but also for um, an enterprise to engage with us, we need to make it seamless as possible. And so we use a combination of APIs and file uploads and just about anything that's most comfortable for our partner to work with. Um, but ultimately, going back to the UX case, like if you can figure out a way to make it no UX, that's probably the best. <laughs> That's often the way. Um, Andrew, you talked a little bit about SMBs and and the UX there and, and some of the complexities that they've got in managing payroll. Could you double click on some of those complexities for me and just talk about you know what somebody trying to run payroll looks like today without a solution like yours? Absolutely. So I think the best way to explain this is through uh, you know one of our customers. I'll use Service Titan as the example. So that business powers um, local uh, sort of tradespeople. So think plumbers, electricians, uh, HVAC repair, that sort of thing. Um, 
prior to check, they already managed time uh, and sort of the, the labor data within the Service Titan platform. So you'd get your timesheet, uh, you know, you as the employee would sign it, your manager would sign it, you know, every week or every couple of weeks. But then all that data would just go to typically some sort of admin person uh, in the office and they they were sort of left to their own devices to figure out how to take that time information and actually get you paid. That's a spreadsheet. They're exporting it. They're figuring out how to import it as you know, we've discussed in who knows how many different formats into however many different payroll systems. You know, it's just a mess. Um, and same thing, by the way, on the employee side, you're now logging into Service Titan for time and you're logging into one of many different payroll systems to to actually you know, switch your bank account to get paid, these sorts of things. Um, by building on check, what Service Titan's able to do is offer Service Titan Payroll Pro, which is a you know, first-party dedicated payroll system that's all right there. So all that you know, movement of data back and forth, all the logging into multiple systems, it's just gone. It's just all in one place. And in a couple of clicks, you've run payroll, your employees are paid, and you're, you're done. Lindsay, contextualize some of this for me. Uh, you mentioned um, open data more generally, and some of the stuff that's happened post uh, post Plaid and post some of the some of the aggregators of account data. Um, and we always had the credit rating agencies before. Why do people talk about payroll data as the holy grail? What do you think it is that that people get so excited by? I think it's bigger than the holy grail, personally, Simon, because Indiana Jones never found the holy grail. But I guess that's a moot point for all the other nerds on the on the call today. My perspective... Uh, an Indiana Jones reference is never a moot point. I'm just going to point that out. In that, because <laughs> in my head now, the theme is playing. And if the theme isn't playing in your head, what's wrong with you? So just putting that out there. Super fair. I mean, some mornings I wake up with, you know, the Hamilton theme playing. So my perspective on this is... The, the data itself has not only just lived in different systems, but consumers have not been as aware of the, the power of it, right? So we're trying to unlock the power of that paycheck for the consumer. That means access to better interest loans. Like today, income straight from a payroll system is probably the most pure source of that data, but it's not leveraged today as part of underwriting. And the way in which the credit scores is built today does not include that consumer's income. Not only can you get access to the income, but in the scenario where you're stitching multiple different payroll systems together, the gig economy worker now has a holistic credit profile because you can see all the gigs that they've worked. If you connect an Uber account and a Lyft account and a DoorDash account, however that consumer is getting paid ultimately is, is part of who they are financially, but it's not reported nor considered as part of the bureau. And by the way, if you report data to the financial bureaus, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're using it and considering it. They've recently come out and said, like, we're going to start to use BNPL because, well, credit card utilizations are going down in certain scenarios because consumers are offsetting that spend from a card into the BNPL. And if that credit bureau is trying to remain relevant, they have to start to evolve their, their methodology for considering, you know, what is financial you know, inclusion in this in this bucket of, of how we judge things in anonymous black box. Anonymous black boxes are my, are my favorite way of judging somebody's uh, ability to get credit or build a life for their future or or anything along those lines. That's that's completely the way it should be, surely. Uh, I mean, final thoughts um, before we move on in terms of kind of the uh, broader opportunities that come from payroll data and, and why you think it's it's so useful. Yeah, I think uh, it's actually what Andrew touched on, where it's the payroll data plus the time data. And I think uh, for especially when it comes to, you know, when we're trying to offer earned wage access or faster access to money, um, being able to get those two pieces of data in real time uh, actually help a lot in being able to service this. And I think the, the biggest challenge that uh, we run into is that 
uh, a lot of times the time data doesn't show up until two weeks later during payroll run. And so it's kind of like, well, how do I actually get at this time data uh, directly from the payroll system when the payroll system is not being updated on a daily daily frequency, right? And so that's why we always have to like consider, oh, okay, here's the time data, and then here's the payroll data, and then you got to marry it together, and then you can calculate out how much somebody is owed. Yeah, and of course, we all get paid on different uh, cycles, some on two weeks, some on monthly. But if you all really, really care about hour by hour, then I can absolutely see why the timing is, is so, so crucial. And, and I guess this kind of brings us to the next section, which was really some of the some of the challenges with payroll software. Andrew, I'm interested in your views here in terms of automation. People talk a good game about automation. Surely it should be set it and forget it. I should just get paid. And if I have some expenses, they should just land in my account. Why is that not the case for the back end, for the poor person that is actually trying to run payroll every month? Which, um, shout out to the folks at 11FS that run payroll. I know that's not easy always as well, right? This is this is a difficult task. Yeah, no, the payroll admin has, uh, has a tough job to be sure. Um, I mean, to your point, people talk a big game about automation, but it's, uh, it's easier said than done when you've got, you know, uh, dozens of different systems that things live in. Stitching those all together is, is just complex. And, and I think people underappreciate it. It's one thing if you run a, you know, small software business. It's another thing when you have employees in the real world, you know, interacting with customers, maybe in the field, uh, you know, and you've got, you know, legacy systems and newer systems and you're trying to tie those together. It's just complex. And, and most of that complexity ends up at the end of the day falling to a human being to have to reconcile. And so it is very much, you know, a person whose job is to go and, you know, do the manual data entry in the IO to ensure that the system you know, actually has the information that's needed to run payroll. So it's, you know, anything you could do around the edges to make that easier is, is I think what we're all going for. Yeah, the uh, anything manual data checking is just no fun. Uh, I think everybody had a first job doing doing one of those things at some point, checking from one thing to a system. I'm seeing lots of nodding around the call. That, why is that a thing? Why does that still exist in this day and age? Uh, but also, uh, Lindsay, I'm going to come back to you for a second because uh, it's also difficult to track people, a single human being, through these different payroll providers. And there's state laws we've got to think about here. Do you want to just unpack all of that for me? Yeah, and also to complement Ahmed's point earlier about time and attendance data. So as we have looked into going into helping consumers access on-demand pay, we've realized that this problem is such that consumers don't necessarily have time and attendance tracked within the same system. And some use their own time trackers. Some actually use one big payroll system for one function and another for the other function. So so stitching and marrying that data together, in that scenario, like you can, you can start to derive data. And it will be interesting to see, like, again, we are very pro-regulation in our space and we want to get ahead of it because it is financial transactions that payroll systems are processing today, but they're kind of not considered as part of the, you know, oversight of, say, the ECFPB and the SEC. And what is happening really is, is the states themselves are working on a state-by-state basis. So if the consumer wants to move their, their relationship, it could be totally different in another state, also the taxes, right? So again, the payroll administration element of this is profoundly important. Um, I will say personally, like I was pretty naive as that first, you know, job out of college was an internal audit, check the box kind of person. I just anticipated that it all worked. Like no one had told me that software isn't really that reliable. And as I was, when I left DTCC and they would send me a physical check in the mail, I didn't know that that was coming. Like there's so much about it I've learned along the way. And I, I the naivete is, is sort of 
refreshing when I think back to like, we expect these systems and processes to work, but again, there's humans in the loop. And that's how we've sort of built our business, which is having anytime a consumer is making, say, a big transaction, like they're switching their bank account, there's a human in the loop at Atomic on the back end at our head- headquarters to ensure that that consumer has made it through the process smoothly. And on the back end, even if they've made the switch, Atomic has done its job, the system could still fail. And and that's, it's, it's incredibly complex and fun to figure out. Um, and it's weird how like just getting paid is suddenly so difficult. You would think, oh, well, I've done the work. Why isn't the money just landing? And yet this is one of those weird things that's just weirdly complicated. Um, there's also, as an, again, as an observer of the US, the experience in most of Europe, I suspect, but certainly in the UK, is is really quite radically different because you have one taxation system in the in the entire country, and it's pretty it's pretty much the same. It's pretty high but it's pretty much the same. And then there's no sort of like weird differences or quirks at the state and federal level. It just works. And then you, for most people, most of the time, even our equivalent of 1099s, it's not that complex. You need an accountant, an FPA or whatever it is. Um, but you, that's kind of simple. But the most salaried employees, it lands every month and the tax is just taken off you, and then you move somewhere else, and it just starts landing every month, and the tax is taken off you. And it, it, you just don't have to think about it. Um, so that's how it kind of could work. And yet there's a whole other bunch of problems that come with that, which is, okay, now I don't know where my my pensions, 401ks, and all of that sort of stuff sits, and the only open data I can actually get access to is my checking. So there's a bunch of trade-offs on the other side, um, as is always the case with these things. But you can see why the rest of the world looks at it and goes, it, it should just work. And yet consumers and businesses are just trying to pay people and get paid. It's a simple request and it may seem naive, but actually it's also a giant opportunity to, to kind of go build that. Andrew, do you have some thoughts? Well, yeah, I was just going to jump in and say, you know, yeah, the U.S., it's because the federal and then the state level, but that's only the half of it. The local level makes it even worse. I, I think people really underappreciate, like in Pennsylvania, schools are not paid for via property taxes, which is how it works in most parts of the U.S. They're paid for via payroll taxes. So you have, uh, you know, thousands of different, you know, individual jurisdictions with individual taxes just within Pennsylvania that you've got to be able to handle. Ohio has its own random little boxes, and that's true. And you, know, you can go state by state by state. They all have these different things. And that's it's really why this whole industry exists. That's why it needs software. That's why you need payroll companies and then payroll data companies. And, and it's all about trying to take that local level complexity and then really just remove it from, from the headspace of the business owner and the employee so that they can do exactly what you just talked about, which is get paid, not have to think about it. And there's just so many edge cases here, Ahmed. And also this is uh, you know, people are leaving full-time work. There are more people that are doing short-term, part-time, mixed-time work across many employers. Do you think this is just going to get more complex as that happens? It's it's going to get very, very complicated because it's going to be a mix of standard W-2 hourly work plus 1099 work. So I think there's always going to be the side hustle or uh, whatnot. And I, you know, and people taking their side hustles and turning that into their full-time thing, there's just such a huge movement there of, you know, working in the gig economy, uh, you know, be, be it driving for Uber or, or Lyft or DoorDash or, or, you know, doing other gigs like with Fiverr or whatever. Um, uh, I think there's just a lot of opportunity where you're going to get 
your 1099 income on one side and you're going to have W-2 income on the other side. One is not taxed. The other one is taxed. And so, well, it, the, the taxes are being deducted. The other side isn't. And so now it's like, all right, how do you marry the two? You went in this weird place where I'm like saving some to pay the tax man later on. And yes. then, oh my goodness, yeah. It's, it's, it, the, the complex accounting that a consumer has to do or an individual has to do in that basis is just incredibly hard. And of course, these systems weren't set up for that. But it's it's where it's the reality of it. There's some great stats our producers put together, which is uh, 1.2 billion people, nearly a third of the global workforce, are freelancers or transitory workers. 59 million people, or 36% of the workforce in the US, um, designate themselves as freelancers. Uh, and in 2020, they generated $1.2 trillion in annual earnings. This that, That's a heck of a town. That's that's a, a real huge opportunity. But what are the biggest uh, issues, risks, challenges for a company to implement a new process? Because they had one before. I guess, Andrew, Ahmed, I don't know if you guys have bumped into this, where somebody had a payroll system and now they're like, no, wait, this new one. Is there a transition challenge for some of these organizations? It's, it's a huge challenge. It's, I mean, it's, it's uh, probably the biggest uh, hurdle, I think, in the payroll industry for new products to, to be adopted. Um, first of all, there's just a risk factor, right? You've got to get comfortable with, can I actually get my employees paid in the new system? You've got to move all the company side data over. So, you know, where are my workplaces? Who are my employees? Where are their bank accounts? How do I have those all hooked up in the new system? All of those pieces have got to be moved over. Then you've got to make sure all the employee information is moved over to all of their elections about how much they want withheld and what that is like, not just at the federal, but at the state level too. But again, potentially the local all has to be moved. So it's uh, there's a big data problem on that side, on the business side of moving payroll providers as well, in addition to that consumer data migration problem. And speaking of data migration, um, our good old friend screen scraping always gets brought up, uh, Lindsay. What are, you, what are your thoughts on this controversial but sensitive tactic? Some people are reluctant to discuss it. Sometimes it's controversial. What, what are your thoughts? From our vantage point, we're not as scared to talk about it. It's a, it's a secondary control in a scenario where the API connectivity is shut down. It fails. Software fails. That is just what happens when AWS goes down. Like we all see it happen, right? The, between the services and functions we can and can't get access to. We have always built our business with an API first methodology because we are switching direct deposit. It was one of the core functions that we built, and it's a more secure, scalable form of accessing this data. But however, there's thousands of different payroll systems in this country. So not every single one of them, especially when you think about states and state unemployment systems, have an API for us to connect to. So in the screen scraping scenario, our ability just to connect that consumer to be able to access their data to say, hey, do you qualify for unemployment or have you been taking, you know, part of unemployment means like for a financial services company, they can provide them a more fluid form of advisory instead of just throwing them into, say, another credit card product or a brokerage account or crypto account. In that scenario, if they're if they're just accessing their unemployment data, you'd probably want to advance them some form of, you know, a job platform or a gig platform for them to go make more money in this in this time frame. Or if they're getting access to a stimulus check, like you want to be able to use that data to better build out a financial profile for them. I mean, we would love to see an open banking style framework come to the U.S. such that payroll systems are included in that 1033 ANPR.franc. But if it doesn't happen, the consumers themselves are permissioning access to it. So at the end of the day, we are only doing what consumers have 
permissioned us to do on their behalf. They're always in the loop. We saw over 18 million consumers enter an atomic flow just last year. So it's happening. We would love to see it happen in a secure fashion. It's the only way that we've ever built, you know, consumer first, consumer in the loop. But I'm optimistic that we will see more software, but the banks themselves have taken, you know, five to six years to get to this point where they're starting to partner with aggregators. I feel like screen scraping needs a glow up. Like we need to get it a better term because like, frankly, it is logging in on behalf of a consumer in a way that you're doing in a controlled and secure way to, to help them benefit. But hey, um, and speaking of um, using open banking style rules to unlock that data, that's actually what we were going to discuss in the next section. So it's like it's like you knew, it's like you had the show notes in front of you, Lindsay, it's amazing. <laughs> uh, but we are just going to take a quick pause here whilst we hear from our sponsor. Did you know that the majority of people are investing in cryptocurrency through a taxable account when they could be using an IRA, that's an individual retirement account, and avoiding or deferring those taxes? With Alto Crypto IRA, you can invest in crypto without tax headaches, creating a free account in only minutes. Choose from over 150 coins and invest with as little as $10. That's right, only 10 bucks. No setup charges and no account fees. To open an Alto Crypto IRA with as little as $10, $10, just go to altoira.com forward slash insider. That's A-L-T-O-I-R-A.com forward slash insider. Alrighty, uh, coming back then, we Lindsay was just talking about uh, open banking to unlock this data or open banking style rules like, like those from PSD2. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Ahmed? Do you think they'd be helpful? Is it going to improve security for consumers? Is it going to make the uh, industry's life uh, easier, better in some way? Yeah, I mean, again, open banking is going to enable people to uh, connect to bank accounts cleanly without this whole screen scraping uh, business. And I think that's it's very much needed because, again, reliability of this data coming in through this sort of mechanism, it's key for things, you know, exactly like what we talked about earlier, where it's like earn wage access is dependent on uh, this uh, data being accurate or, uh, you know, loans or whatever. It needs to be accurate. And, you know, considering that all these banks are now finally getting uh, this point of, you know, providing the data to the aggregators, like, I think it's just going to make things a lot better. And it's going to be in a more consistent data format as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and Andrew, any thoughts on this subject? Yeah, I was just going to say, we're, you know, from the, the actual payroll provider perspective, we are very pro both open standards and consistent regulation. Um, you know, I think maybe there's a perception that payroll is unregulated, which I can tell you from my side, having been fingerprinted, I don't know how many times and having submitted my both personal and company financials, to I don't know how many different states um, is just not the case. It's just totally inconsistent and fragmented regulation, which ends up making it really hard for the consumer and software players that are trying to build, you know, across the country in different ways to to build, you know, great services. So anything we can do to simplify that uh, is something that we see as very much a good thing. Unregulated is a term people throw around willy-nilly with absolutely very, with often with very little uh, understanding of the subject. There's no such, there's very rarely anything, especially in the US, that is fully unregulated. You guys have an alphabet soup of regulators. There's, it, it's like Warren G wrote the song on purpose. They, they are going to regulate, is going to regulate. Um, but, um, 
I'm interested, Andrew, in your view, especially as you're dealing with SMBs in particular. Uh, outside of the domestic market, do you think that emerging markets, developing markets, international markets have an opportunity for payroll? Is that something you see in, in your future and, and the payroll industry's future? Absolutely. I mean, really the trend that Czech is helping to power is the rise of these software platforms that are powering small businesses. So you've seen sort of the rise of, um, uh, you know, super apps on the consumer side. You're we're really seeing similar kind of super apps arise powering, you know, every function for the small business. And, you know, the U.S. is far from alone in that trend. Pick almost any market out there. And there are similar companies that are helping to power, you know, these local businesses all around the world. And while the, the you know, payment regulations and what payroll looks like in each market is quite different. It is very hyper, hyper local. Um, we absolutely believe that those, uh, you know, ultimately making sure those workforces can get paid, it's going to be directly embedded in those super apps going forward. I mean, imagine if you can go state by state, then dealing with an entire single country is, is, is somewhat simpler, hopefully is easier for you guys, but who knows. Um, Ahmed, what are your thoughts on the, the sort of the international opportunity for, for payroll? International again, it's it's really really going to be hard. Um, and the opportunity is if we can, uh, especially as people work uh, in different countries and people work remote, and you also have distributed teams, um, being able to pay people out um, globally, I think it's going to be a need. But I think it's going to be really hard to do. Um, and I think that is kind of the next big frontier um, of challenge for people to tackle. Yeah, we did see Deal had the one of the fastest revenue growth rates anywhere, and, and Remote.com apparently is doing extremely well as well. And they're really an abstraction layer on on top of a lot of this stuff. Um, so the the underlying problems are still still definitely there. But as you say, the demand is is absolutely there, and those fulfilling it are doing well. Do you think uh, Lindsay will see further niche products sort of built on top of? Payroll, we, we saw Ratbook, for instance, a startup that simplifies the payroll process for TV, film, and commercial productions, or CADMOS, which is salary payments for migrant workers. Do you think we'll see more of this? Absolutely. It's sort of what I bet on when I, when I came to Atomic. My thesis here was that we're unlocking the ability for a company to use this financial data to empower that consumer, and new products and services are, are already starting to be built off of it. One of the things, one of the most profound, interesting use cases that we've come across is a company called LendTable. They help consumers access the payroll data to see if they have access to a 401k and a company match, and if they are or are not taking advantage of that match. They will then advance that consumer the money without hitting that consumer's bottom line, and they don't make money unless that consumer's 401k returns down the line. And that's just free money on the table that the consumers are leaving behind annually. It's billions of dollars that they're helping consumers unlock just because they had the ability to access a payroll account to say, do you have a 401k match? Are you taking advantage of it? It's phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's the, the sort of list of employee benefits that people don't take that you didn't know you had that you could go grab. Andrew, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I was going to add, I mean, these these niche payroll products are really, I mean, they're exactly what check enables, and it's one of the biggest trends that we see when I just think about our customers. You know, they do payroll for the home healthcare space. They do payroll for specifically daycare centers. They do payroll for restaurants. They do payroll for, uh, you know, field service workers, construction. And, like, those are each individual companies focused specifically on those niches. And um, it's, it's something that we see each of these businesses has their own unique needs, and they deserve software and products that are built for the workflows, you know, that makes sense in their industries. And so we think we're going to see just, you know, a tremendous explosion of these over the coming years. 
And, and Ahmed, um, speaking of niche um, sort of requirements, I guess the the gig economy, the gig worker space, the freelancer space is is. Have you seen a whole bunch of stuff popping up in that? And where do you think the future lays for for um, the the future of freelancers and the software? What do you think is going to come next? Yeah, I, I think the gig economy platforms actually do a really good job at figuring out their payroll. Their payroll is different in that they actually um, pay for certain bodies of work. And so it, it may not be like I'm paying you per hour, but I'm paying you per ride or I'm paying you per delivery. And what's great is that the the newer gig economy platform companies, they actually can do this calculation in real time, uh, meaning that it, it's the data is actually really fast uh, and it's very accurate and it's down to the unit of work. Uh, whereas if you look at um, just traditional hourly workers, again, it's based on hours, it's based on some calculation, and then that data doesn't travel uh, to that payroll system very fast. And so like, I think there's actually a lot of opportunity that can happen from just a faster payroll system for the gig economy. Um, and because you don't have to calculate all these taxes and whatnot, it just makes the the flow of money faster. So we're we're obsessed with getting people paid super fast, and I think the gig economy is really interesting uh, for us in that regard. And getting people paid faster or getting them paid properly uh, is is a pretty useful mission to have uh, in the not too distant future. Um, so I'm interested, uh, Lindsay. I'm going to start with you. What's the one misconception when you say, "Hey, I work for Atomic. We're a payroll data API provider." Like, what's the one misconception everybody gets about that business and, and business model, or that you just want to shout from the rooftops, "Hey, this is the thing that everybody misses." Atomic is not a payroll provider. There you go. <laughs> I hear that one quite a bit, and I think that's just a funny one. Uh, that that would be the personal one, but I, I think from from the vantage point of there is actually a lot that you can do with payroll data beyond it. It's like oh, we have bank data or we have you know loan data. It's like actually, if you have the payroll data, you can obfuscate the need to go to other systems because you're going to the single source of truth in that scenario. Yeah, it's uh, the. Question of whether somebody's credit worthy, for instance, is often a question of uh, can they afford the borrowing and are they likely to repay it? And that first one, can they afford the borrowing? They, a lot of systems say, please type in your salary here. And the lender just goes, oh, OK, I'll take your word for it and doesn't doesn't go check it. Wouldn't it be great if you checked that? Yeah. And then if you could put that together with how they're spending on a regular basis, you could now have both of those together. And I can see affordability and and behavior with data, and then suddenly you end up in a, a super interesting place. One small point, you can also pay back that obligation from the paycheck, means that the consumer is actually willing to repay that obligation. So it's a higher propensity for the borrower and the lender to, to both get something out of the out of the relationship. So in that case, you could build their credit profile, offer them a better interest loan, you know, interest rate on their loan, and then also get repaid without having that financial friction of being first money out of an account. It just takes care of itself. Imagine that. Imagine that user experience. Uh, Ahmed, um, as you think about sort of the financial inclusion opportunities that that you see in front of you, what do you what do you what gets you out of bed in the morning? What gets you hopeful? Why did you Why did you start Branch, and, and what was it that got you going? Well, again, it really was just helping these people. Um, with their cash flow issues, right? Um, a, a lot of the folks that we serviced early on, uh, you know, were very much like paycheck to paycheck uh, types of folks. And uh, again, we wanted to help them earn more money, but then also on top of it, 
just make it faster. And so we still believe that there's a, there's a huge cash flow problem and people end up taking these like payday loans or, you know, borrowing from friends and family and whatnot just to make do. They're, they literally are borrowing money so they can buy groceries or they can buy gas to get to work, right? And if we can kind of accelerate that, um, it just makes their cash flow problems so much better. Let's solve for cash flow and let's solve for the admin. Let's solve for the business and the SMBs as well. What a crazy, crazy idea. Well, listen, we are running out of time. So thank you so much. That wraps up today's discussion. Um, where can people find out more about you and your companies? I'm going to start with Ahmed. Uh, easy. I'm on Twitter, Siddiqui Ahmed, uh, also on LinkedIn uh, and also uh, branchapp.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. And Lindsay, how about you? Well, we are atomic.financial or atomicfi.com. And I am LC Davis1225 on Twitter. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Perfect. And Andrew? Yeah, so we are Czech. Uh, that's checkhq.com. Uh, you know, spelled the American way, no no Q in the Czech. And uh, I'm Andrew Brown. Outrageous. On, on <laughs> so it's, uh, I also, at, the word color has the letter U in it, despite what spell check keeps trying to tell me. Just that putting is, it out there. You, no joke. One of the more common questions I get when I, I say the name of the company. So, you know, important to clarify. Um, but yeah, you can follow me on, on LinkedIn or, or Twitter too. I'm at almost ABC. Almost ABC. Perfect. As for me, you can find me at SYTaylor on Twitter, or you can find us at 11fs.com. And if you liked this show, just hit the subscribe button. It's right there and tell everybody you know who loves fintech to subscribe too. And please leave us a review. It really helps others uh, find the show and it helps us make it better. Like tell us what you want to see more of, less of, all of that good stuff. Uh, thank you so much and bye for now. <laughs>